This afternoon, Jesus wants to urge each of us to always pray and never lose heart in prayer. That's what he wants to urge us to do. And this is important for a lot of reasons, but one reason is because I think every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have had or we will have times where kind of goes like this. You maybe hear a sermon about prayer or you read a book about prayer or maybe you hear somebody's testimony about prayer and you get excited about prayer. And so you start praying with fresh fervency and passion and devotion. You're praying and as you pray, you start to see God working in beautiful ways. Exciting, thrilling, powerful ways God is working. And so you're continuing to pray. But then we, there comes a time, sometimes, when there is something that is very precious to you, very dear to you, something that you are crying out to the Lord to do, that you long to have him do. Maybe it's somebody who needs to be healed. Maybe it's a loved one to be saved. Something that's very precious to you and, and, and dear to your heart. And, and you pray and you pray and you pray. But the Lord does not answer the way you're praying. And that can be devastating. Heartbreaking. And it can make you question prayer. I thought God heard me. I, I thought God loved me. I thought he answered prayer. And that can make you lose heart in prayer. And you can find yourself praying less and less and less. And maybe even stop praying altogether. But here's the good news. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. He knows this can happen to us. And so he gives us Luke chapter 18, a parable in Luke chapter 18, specifically taught by Jesus to help us not lose heart in prayer, to help us keep praying. So let's turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to study this parable this afternoon. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's start with verse 1, where Luke introduces this parable. Verse 1, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose hearts. That's exactly what some of us need to hear, isn't it? Always pray. Don't lose heart. Then Luke records the parable starting in verse 2. He, Jesus, said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. 
For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she does not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, I just need to mention here, this unrighteous judge is not a picture of who God is. God is different than this unrighteous judge. God is contrasted with this unrighteous judge. Just keep that in mind so you're not confused. There's a difference here. So there's the parable. And then in verses 6 through 8, Jesus explains the parable. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them like this unrighteous judge did? I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This afternoon, Jesus wants to use this passage to help all of us. He wants to help those of you who have lost heart about prayer. That this parable would strengthen your faith in prayer and restore your confidence and your trust in the God who answers prayer. But also for those of you who are strong in prayer, who have not lost heart in prayer, he wants to give you this parable so that if a time comes when you do lose heart in prayer, you'll remember to pull this parable out and let it restore your confidence, restore your heart in prayer. So let's work our way through this passage with some questions. First, what is the point of this parable? What's the point? Luke tells us right there in verse 1. Let's read it again. And he told them, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So this parable is about prayer. Prayer. Now, what is prayer? I want to define our terms. That's important. And in this parable, Jesus gives a very beautiful, simple definition of prayer right there in verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Prayer is crying to God. Very simple, crying out to God. But now a lot of people today on social media talk about prayer in terms of let's all send our thoughts or our or send our prayers to this person in need over here. Ever hear people talking that way? Let's send our thoughts. Let's send our, our prayers. But notice in, with that language, there's nothing about God in that. Just us sending our thoughts to people, sending our prayers to people, but, but nothing about God in that. But, but prayer is all about God. We must not take God out of our definition of prayer. So let me encourage you, don't, don't use that language. Don't get confused by that language. That is not prayer. Prayer is crying out to God in Jesus' name. That's what prayer is. Listen, there is a real God who is really there, 
who really hears us when we cry out to him in Jesus' name. God's at the very heart of prayer. God is all about prayer. Prayer is crying out to God in Jesus' name. And that's what this parable is all about. Jesus gives us this parable to motivate us to pray and not lose hearts. That's our first question. What's the point of this parable? Prayer. Next question. What are the details of this parable? Start with verse 2. He, Jesus, said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So Jesus is very clear. This judge was a bad man. He was not just. He was not fair. He probably took bribes and favored the rich over the poor. This is an unrighteous judge. Keep reading. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So as a widow, this woman would have been in a very precarious position financially, struggling with terrible poverty. And if that wasn't bad enough, she had an adversary who was being unjust toward her, maybe stealing her money. She couldn't do anything about it or in some way bringing her harm. So she was already in a precarious, difficult struggle financially. And she had an adversary who was being unjust in what he was doing toward her. And so the widow went to this judge, this wicked judge, and asked him, give me justice against this adversary. The judge refused. So she went to him again. He refused again. She went to him again and again and again and again. Keep reading. Verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So finally, this judge gave her justice just so she'd stop bothering him. Long delay and finally gave her justice so she'd stop bothering him. Those are the details of the parable. A wicked judge finally gives justice to this widow so she'll stop bothering him. And that brings to another question. How then does this parable encourage us to keep praying? Jesus just told this parable to that end so that we would always pray and not lose heart. How does this parable encourage us to always pray and not lose heart? Jesus explains how in verses six through eight. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Remember, this unrighteous judge is not a picture of God. He's the opposite of God. So Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And then Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, a side note here, that word justice, you might be thinking, um, I don't want justice from God. I want mercy from God. That would be a very smart thing to say. Okay. But the reason Jesus talks about justice here is because that's what the parable was talking about. The widow needed justice. And so the word justice here doesn't mean only ask God for things pertaining to justice issues. It's just simply a way of describing God will give you what you're asking for when you come to him. He will give you. He, he, he will give justice. He'll give mercy, justice. He'll respond to you speedily. Okay, so just think about this now. If this unrighteous judge, unrighteous judge, finally relents and gives this widow justice, what is it that God will do? What will our righteous God, our merciful, our loving God do when we cry to him day and night? What will he do? He will not delay over us. He will give us justice speedily, Jesus says. Now notice something that Jesus says about who we are to God here. This is something you could just read right over, but don't miss this. This is who we are to God. We are God's elect. Did you see that? Will not God give justice to his elect? Election is a doctrine that we can tend to ignore because it does raise lots of questions that can be hard to answer. But we should not ignore this doctrine. The Holy Spirit chose to have the Bible authors write it in the book because he wants us to be getting encouragement from it. And there is great encouragement for us from understanding that we are God's elect. We are God's chosen ones. Jesus wants us to understand that we aren't just people bothering God in his courtroom. He wants us to understand that because we are trusting Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, as our treasure, because we're trusting Jesus, we are God's elect, chosen ones, people he has lovingly, mercifully, sacrificially chosen to save. God's elect. Now, let me give you some background just to kind of flesh this out a little bit more. This is really important. The Bible is very clear that we were all rebelling against God. No one's born a Christian. We were all rebelling against God, running away from God, not wanting God. And if God had left us to ourselves, we would have kept running. We did not want God. That was the state of our hearts. We were dead in sin. We never on our own would have turned to God, repented of our sin, and trusted Jesus. But now here you are. You're trusting Jesus. What happened? How did that happen? Here's how. Before the foundation of the world, 
God knew your rebellion, your willfulness, your running away from him, your sin, which deserved only punishment from him. He knew you from before the foundation of the world. He knew. And in spite of your sin, he set his affection upon you. He chose to love you. Chose to care about you. Chose to save you. You were sinful. You were running from him. There was nothing in you that warranted that. God, to the praise of the glory of his mercy, chose to save you. And he sent Jesus, his son, his beloved son. He sent Jesus to be punished, slaughtered on the cross in payment for your sins. He sent his son to do that. And not just to pay for your sins, but to purchase for you a new heart. A new heart which would want to repent of your sin. Receive Jesus in all of his love and glory. Trust Jesus. Live for his glory the rest of your life. That's what God did before the foundation of the world. And then he sent Jesus. And then at some point in your life, God brought his power upon you. And he took out your old heart and he gave you that new heart, which Jesus purchased for you on the cross. He gave you that new heart and you repented of your sin. You wanted to turn from your sin. You wanted to put your trust in Jesus, to trust him as your savior and your Lord and your treasure. You put your trust in Jesus. And because you did, because you turned, put your trust in Jesus, you were saved. Saved. And why did you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus? It's because of God's mercy in choosing to save you, sending Jesus to pay for your sin, purchasing a new heart for you, bringing his power upon you, taking out the old heart and giving you a new heart. God chose to save you. This raises lots of questions. They're important questions. Study those questions. But learn this and understand you, by God's mercy, through Jesus' shed blood, you are one of God's elect. For nothing in you, you're running away from God. And he, in his mercy, set his heart upon you and chose to save you. So you are not just someone in God's courtroom. You are one of God's elect, which shows his love for you, his affection for you, his care for you, while you were still a sinner, setting his affection upon you to save you in that way. You're one of God's elect, loved by God, chosen by God for a salvation you did not deserve, paid for at great cost to the Father and the Son, death on the cross, you're saved. Now, what if you're here this afternoon and you're not trusting Jesus yet? You're not trusting Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, your treasure. We are glad you're here. But what should you do in light of this? See God's love 
in saving people. Look at his love, costly love, to send his son to be punished for our sins. Costly, costly love. Costly for the father, costly for the son. Think of Jesus' love in coming to earth to be nailed to a cross, to be punished in our place for our sins. And then see that nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing else will satisfy you like knowing God in Jesus Christ. So see those realities. See them right now. They're standing forth from the scriptures. You're hearing them. God had you be here this afternoon so you could hear that. See those realities and turn from your sin right now. Put your trust in Jesus Christ right now. And you'll be saved. And, and why will you have done that? Because God in his power has just changed your heart and given you a new heart which wanted to do that. You're one of God's elect. That's why. Turn from your sin. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And you'll be one of God's elect. And you will not just be someone in God's courtroom. You'll be one of his elect who he will not delay long over who he will speedily bring justice to. That's true for everyone here who's trusting Jesus Christ this afternoon. Now, what does that mean? I hope that's the question that's in all of your minds. He will not delay over us. What does that mean? He will bring us justice quickly. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's dig deeper into this by asking, so what does this parable teach us about prayer? And it teaches us two crucial truths. Those are the two crucial truths. The first one is that God will always answer prayer. Look right there. Start with verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them. Stop right there. He will give justice to them. God will always answer prayer. Always. This is taught all through the scriptures. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 10. Just a few chapters earlier in Luke where Jesus says, For everyone who asks, receives. Did you get that? Who receives? How many of those who ask receive? Everyone. Everyone who asks receives. Our Jesus said that. It's truth. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. God will always answer prayer. Now, sometimes that means he will give us exactly what we're asking for. Many times he will give us exactly what we're asking for. When my father was six years old, he had developed pneumonia that had clogged his breathing tubes, pipes with mucus, so he, no air or very little air was getting into his oxygen. He was lying on his bed, unconscious, blue in the face, at home, my grandfather, my grandmother, and a family friend 
knelt down by his bed and, and prayed something along these lines. Father, we want to submit to your will completely here, but we want our son Danny to live. They were praying. They called the ambulance. The ambulance arrived, took him to the hospital. When he was at the hospital, his color changed. The, an x-ray, they had, he had no treatment. An x-ray showed that the lungs were completely cleared. This is before antibiotics. That's why this is so serious, right? Before antibiotics, God had given them exactly what they'd asked for. My father was saved. Often God gives us exactly what we ask for. But not always. There are times where he doesn't give us exactly what we ask for. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Most of you are familiar with that passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Very important passage to study and to understand. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We aren't sure exactly what it was, but it caused him great suffering. So much so that Paul earnestly prayed three separate times, crying out to God to remove this from him. And look at God's answer in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect. It, it comes to fruition the most fully in weakness. It's experienced the most powerfully in weakness. You will know it the most fully in times of weakness. You're going to know more of my power by having this thorn in the flesh continue with you. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more, I'm sorry, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Christ's power is so real. It is so experienced. It is so satisfying, comforting, strengthening that Paul said, if having this thorn in the flesh means I will have more of Christ's power resting upon me, bring it. I'll boast in it. Yes, because Christ's power will make any thorn in the flesh worth it. So Paul's saying, Christ's power, Christ's love, Christ's presence, Christ's nearness is so precious, it makes any thorn in the flesh worth it. So God said no to Paul's prayer, and Paul said, thank you. I'm boasting in your answer. Sometimes God gives us exactly what we ask for. Other times he doesn't give us exactly what we asked for, but he gives us something even better than what we asked for because it's going to be the means by which God brings us even more of Jesus, presence, love, nearness, and power, which makes any thorn in the flesh worth it. God always answers. Now, I know sometimes those 
words about Jesus' presence and glory and love and power, they can just kind of sound like words. So I, I want to give you an illustration of, of what this was like in the life of a young man named David Brainerd. I want to give you a, just a taste of, of what this was like for him. He was a missionary to the American Indians in the 1700s. When he was in his 20s, one afternoon, he was feeling far from God, but he, he wanted to pray. And here's what he wrote in his journal. He wanted to pray. He was feeling far from God, trying to pray. Here's what happens. Here's what he wrote. I had been trying to pray for half an hour, but felt very unmotivated. I was feeling very weak and dull. Anybody felt like that when you were praying? <laughs> right? It, oh, it happens. It happens often. I was feeling very weak and dull, but I kept praying. And then unspeakable glory seemed to open to my soul. My soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable in God. Such a glorious God. My heart was rejoicing that this glorious God was God who ruled over everything and would do so forever. I was so captivated by his excellency, greatness, and other perfections that I was overwhelmed with joy and peace and worship until dark. See, that's worth any thorn in the flesh. Any thorn in the flesh. Earth has no sorrows that Christ's glory and love and presence can't heal, can't restore, can't make us say, thank you, thank you. So God always answers prayer. Always, always. Everyone who asks receives either exactly what you're asking for or something even better, which is better because it's going to bring you even more of Christ's power, love, presence, nearness. And the days will come when we will all bow and thank Jesus for the prayers he answered exactly as we asked and for the prayers where he brought us something even better because it brought us more of him. Now, I know this might be hard for some of you to accept. You've prayed earnestly about something that was so important to you that you longed for God to answer. And he did not give you exactly what you were asking for. And it was heartbreaking for you. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. Heartbreaking for you. And heartbreak, grief at those times can be appropriate. Absolutely appropriate. In fact, Jesus is weeping with you at those times. He loves you. He's weeping with you at those times. But understand, understand that when God does not give you what you're asking for, he is answering. And he's giving you something better, better 
than what you're asking for because it's going to bring you even more of Jesus' nearness, love, glory, and presence. That's what he promises you. Let that comfort you. Let that encourage you. Let that strengthen you. The presence of Christ, the felt presence of Christ's glory and holiness and beauty and power is worth any thorn in the flesh that we may be left with in this life. God will always answer prayer. It's either going to be good, exactly what you're asking for, or better, because it's going to bring us more of him. That's our God. That's a crucial truth, one crucial truth to lay hold of in this parable. A second crucial truth. God will always answer prayer speedily. Really? That's what he says. Look at verses 7 and 8. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, what does it mean in this parable that God answers prayers speedily? Notice that God is answering prayers speedily to those who are crying to him day and night. Hmm. Jesus is very intentional here. He wants us to think, okay, wait a minute. If he's answering speedily, then I don't need to pray day and night. I pray like once and boom, there it is, right? Well, it's not what Jesus says. He says he answers speedily and we pray day and night. Now, we need to think of how do, how do those fit together? How do those fit together? How can Jesus say God answers speedily for crying out to him day and night? Here's how I fit them together. See if this makes sense to you. I think this means that the moment you start praying, the second you start praying, God starts responding. God starts answering. The moment you start praying, God starts answering. He's already going to work immediately, speedily going to work. Maybe he's going to immediately answer your request and here it comes. He does that often. You've experienced that. Like when he healed my father. Maybe he's going to say yes to your request, but he's going to wait to give you more sweet time of day and night prayer in his presence, humbling yourself, crying out to him, meeting him. You know, prayer is such a gift. And God often in his wisdom and love and mercy says, I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to make even better timing than doing it right now. I'm going to do it here, here, here. It's going to come, but ooh, the gift of prayer I'm going to give to my elect, my daughter, my son. But he starts working at the very beginning, planning this all together. It's coming, the exact thing you're asking for. Or maybe, like Paul, he's preparing outpourings which he's going to pour out upon you of his presence, his grace, Jesus' power, Jesus' goodness. 
which you will rejoice in when you understand that he's not going to say yes to your prayer. He's preparing those, this outpouring of Jesus' power, grace, nearness, and presence, like what David Brainerd experienced, like what Paul experienced. But the point is that the moment you start praying, God starts answering. The moment. When you ask and don't immediately receive the answer, it doesn't mean God isn't there. It doesn't mean God isn't listening to you. It doesn't mean God has abandoned you. God is answering. He's responding. He started working the moment you prayed. So don't stop praying and don't lose heart in prayer. No prayer is wasted. Every prayer is either going to bring you exactly what you're asking for, which would be beautiful, or something even better. More of God's grace, more of God's presence, more of God's glory, more of God's outpouring, which makes any thorn in the flesh worth it. It's either going to be good or gooder, great or greater. No prayer is ever wasted. So don't stop praying and don't lose heart in praying. That's the point of this parable. There's one more important question from this passage we have to address. This puzzling last part of verse 8. What does this have to do with anything? Read all of verse 8. The question is, why is prayer so important? Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Why does this passage start by talking about prayer in verse 1 and end by talking about faith in verse 8? Why? It's because when we stop praying, when we lose heart in praying, there's a problem with our faith. That's where the problem is. There's a problem in our, in our faith. We're not trusting God at that point. And we've, we all experience that from time to time, right? You're not alone. You're just one of us, and we all deal with this. We're not trusting God. But when Jesus comes back, remember we talked last week about Jesus' return? When he comes back, what's important is that we have faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ. That's what's important when Jesus comes back, is that we have faith. But if we're not praying, if we've lost heart in prayer, that shows that our faith is dangerously weak. Dangerously weak. Prayer is important because it shows us whether or not we're ready for Jesus to come back. It shows us if we're ready for Jesus' return. So what should we do? We all experience this. What should we do at those times when we've lost heart about prayer? We've been discouraged about prayer? Maybe disillusioned about prayer? What should we do? What we need to do is strengthen our faith, which is why Jesus gave us this parable. So we would do that. We should open up to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, and read this parable and think deeply about what Jesus teaches about prayer here. Because as we open up the scripture, 
and read these truths. The Holy Spirit will take these truths and strengthen our faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he will use his word to strengthen our faith. Our faith will rise. And I want to just take a moment as we wrap up here and have us do this right now. All right? So think about verses 7 and 8. Just think about these verses again. Look at what Jesus says here. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He will give justice to them. He will answer them. He will answer them. Everyone who asks receives speedily. He's already starting to work. He's already working. His answer is coming. It's on the way. So, so let this sink in just right now, just as we're here, let this sink in. God will give justice to you. He will answer your prayer, every prayer. As we've said, either exactly what you're asking for or something even better, better because it's going to bring you more of him, more of him. It may have other good things as well, but for sure, every time it'll bring you more of him. God will answer every prayer. Start praying again. Start praying again. There's no wasted prayers. And God will give you justice speedily. The moment you start praying, God responds. The moment you start praying, God goes to work. He's never sitting back doing nothing when you pray. He immediately responds, either bringing you the answer or preparing the answer for the perfect time or drawing near to you with his presence to comfort you and strengthen you with a thorn in the flesh situation. He's always moving toward you the moment you start praying with exactly what you need, exactly what his mercy and love is going to give to you. God will answer every prayer. And the moment you start praying, God goes to work. Every prayer answered. The moment you start praying, God goes to work. Trust that, church. Believe that. This is what our Jesus said. No one loves you more than Jesus. Look at the cross. This is what he said. You can trust the God-man who was nailed to the cross to save you. You can trust him. And when you trust these truths, you'll always pray. And you won't lose heart in prayer. And you'll be ready for Jesus' return. Let's stand and pray. I pray, Lord, that right now you'd bring your power, especially upon those who have been discouraged about prayer, heartbroken about prayer, who've lost heart about prayer. Oh, Lord, would you touch their hearts right now with your truth, empowered by the Spirit? Would you touch their hearts? Lord, I pray for those who 
for whom it's been maybe a long time since they have felt your nearness, your strength, your glory, your mercy in a way that would make them think, yes, your presence is worth any thorn in the flesh. And it's been a long time, Lord, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon them, a fresh taste of your glory, a fresh taste of your love and your grace so that they would say, yes, okay, yes, yes. Worth it all, Lord Jesus, you are worth it all. Touch them right now and encourage them and strengthen them, Lord, I pray. And Lord, for all of us, that we would be a church which is always praying and not lose heart. As we pray for lost people around us, as we pray for family members who need to come to faith, as we pray for areas of sin in our lives, as we pray for more faith, as we pray for more boldness, as we pray for more holiness, Lord, that we would always pray and not lose heart. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.